So does anybody know what tomorrow is? Monday, right? Valentine's Day. So St. Valentine. I did a little bit of research on this guy and some fun facts for you. He is the patron saint of love and marriage. You already knew that, right? Really? Chocolate? He is also the patron saint of epilepsy and beekeepers. So now you have some good conversation for the Super Bowl party this afternoon. But seriously, here is why we have uh, St. Valentine as a big deal. So the Emperor Claudius passed an edict because they were not getting enough recruits in the military that no one would get engaged or married for a couple of years. So Valentine looked in scripture and went, well, wait, marriage is important because God created it. And so he went and married a whole bunch of young couples, got in trouble with the, with the boss, okay? So he got arrested, went to court. The judge was trying him for all this stuff and asked him, why'd you do this? And he told him about Jesus and about the Bible and about what he believed. And so the guy put him on a test and he said, well, my daughter's blind. If you can heal her, then I'll know your God is real. Now, we don't know if this is truth or urban legend, but his daughter was healed, and the judge came to know Jesus as his whole family did. So then Claudius finds out about this, all these shenanigans and arrests Valentine himself and actually kind of likes him and tries to keep the guy alive, but Valentine keeps sharing Christ with him and won't let up. So Claudius figures, I guess I got to kill him. So before he dies, he writes a letter to the jailer's daughter saying, I'll see you later my, from your dear Valentine. How's that? Interesting, huh? So uh, as you think about Valentine's Day tomorrow, I don't know if you have traditions or don't have traditions. Um, I usually don't give my wife flowers because they're you know, three times as much money. Uh, so I pick one from the yard tomorrow, which is you know, a little bit better. Uh, but we will do something nice. And um, say hi to Stace, by the way. She's serving with the kids today. So if you don't see her in here, just wave. Um, now, there's something else going on today, right? I mean, church. Um, so there's a game today, and, and it, I think it's fun that what we're going to talk about today has to do with love and teamwork and mutual respect. And at the end of the service, we're going to celebrate communion. And so those of you who are in the room and outside your setup, we have you ready to go. But if you are watching online, uh, out there, grab some communion elements so that you are ready at the end of the service to join us. And uh, I just want to pray as we get started. Lord, thank you for our series in the book of Nehemiah. Thank you for the faith of this courageous leader. Thank you for the prayers of this courageous leader. And Lord, I ask that you would humble our hearts before you that your word would cut like a knife or like a scalpel based on what we need and rearrange some things in our hearts and our spirits and our thinking today. Jesus, have your way. And everybody said, amen. amen. So uh, we're going to dig into Nehemiah chapter 3. And I also want to ask this. I think that there are a bunch of people that are uh, hanging out at home with the Super Bowl coming up. And they may be watching social media. So if you can, share the service. If you're here in the room, just go to Caneo Church. 
uh, on Facebook and share it, and it'll go out there. And then some people who are sitting at home mixing their chip and dip, well, mixing their dip for chip, they will, they will catch the service and hopefully learn some things about the Lord. So uh, just a little background on Nehemiah. We already went through chapter 1 and 2. If you missed it, you can still read it. It's in your Bible. If you don't know where that is, table of contents, Nehemiah, you'll find him. So uh, Ezra and Nehemiah were uh, at the same period of time. In fact, Ezra led two groups of people back to the promised land uh, while the rest of the people stayed in captivity. Nehemiah led the third group, which was more successful than the previous two groups. But the books really fit together. So it's kind of cool to read them together and know that these guys knew each other. Now, in the chapter one of Nehemiah, what we have is Nehemiah... Uh, receives word from his brother and some friends that came from Jerusalem. And he says, hey, how are things back home? And they say, things are terrible. The walls are broken down. The gates have been burned with fire. The people are in disgrace. And so Nehemiah, he weeps and he fasts and he prays for many days. So the first chapter is, a que- is for us a question of what do we do when we get bad news? Do we just get depressed? Do we think, well, the end is here? Or do we take it to prayer and fasting? That's what Nehemiah did. And that which was hopeless, that would, I mean, what Nehemiah was facing was more hopeless than what you are facing. It just was. It had been destroyed for 100 years. People had tried to rebuild it and failed. And he was, he was 900 miles away, like, and no jet plane, right? So hopeless, helpless. He goes to prayer and fasting. God gives him the solution. Chapter 2, he has favor with the king. He asks for favor. God gives him favor. The king says, what's on your heart? What's on your mind? He says, I'd love to go build, rebuild Jerusalem, but I know that's a lot to ask. And the king says, I'll send you. What do you need? So Nehemiah takes a deep breath. And he prays again. He says he's very afraid. And he says, I need building materials. And I need visas and passports. And I need some dudes to help. And the king says, I'll do that and more. And so he sends him to rebuild the city. So then we have in the end of chapter 2, Nehemiah walks around. He's sneaky. He doesn't tell him why he's there. He assesses the damage. And we learned from that, start from where you are, not from where you wish you were. Does God know where you are? Why would we not start there? It doesn't make sense. If your life is a mess, he knows. And you can say, Lord, my life's a mess. And he goes, I know. Thanks for being honest. And then we start from where we are, and he can build from there. And so then he, he tells the workers, he, he says, hey, everybody, here's why I'm here. God told me, and he gave me favor with the king. Will you help me rebuild the city? And the people say, oh, yeah, let's do it. Okay. So that's where we are. Chapter 3, Nehemiah, you can turn there. If you have a Bible, we'll put some verses up on the screen. So this is the rebuilding of the walls. They will not be complete today, but they will be half complete today. There are 42 sections of the wall, and those who did the work are listed in order, counterclockwise from the Sheep Gate, which is at the northeast corner of the city, And then it goes all the way around and mentions all the people by name that built a section. And it's interesting to see God's plan executed by Nehemiah and the people's willingness to say, 
let's do this, to get dirty and go for it. And we know that it took 52 days of solid work, not very much sleep. They had to stop doing what they were doing. Like if they were tradesmen, if they were farmers, if they were this or that or the other thing, they stopped it for two months to go work on the city wall. So does God ever ask us to do things that are uncomfortable, difficult, cost us money, not what we planned, right? Sometimes he's up to something bigger. Okay, Nehemiah 3, verses 1 and 2. Eliashib, the high priest, and his fellow priest went to work and rebuilt the sheep gate. And I love this line, they dedicated it. Of course, right? So they, they put the bricks in, they do the thing, and then they're like, oh, hey, let's sing and praise God and dedicate this thing. And then they moved on to the next part, um, and they, uh, they built as far as the Tower of the Hundred, which they dedicated again, and as far as the Tower of Hananel. I, I think it's so, so cool that they're building, dedicating, building, dedicating. I think that's a good pattern for our lives, too. Has God accomplished something in your life? Have you achieved a milestone? Have you, you know, whatever that is. Say, Lord, thank you. This is yours. This is not mine. So I love how also the priests led the charge. They got after it. And I think some religious leaders are afraid to get their hands dirty. And they were not. And we see more and more priests through the chapter that are getting their hands literally dirty along with everybody else. Verse 2, the men of Jericho built the adjoining section, and Zakur, son of Imri, built next to them. So what? you might say, which I think is actually a good question when you're reading your Bible, to say, so what? Well, here's, wh here's why this is important. They lived um, 18 miles away in Jericho. So they could have said, not my problem. I don't live in Jerusalem. Good luck, you guys. I'll be over here when you need me. Like, come visit sometime. But they saw this as important for the nation, so they stopped what they were doing for two months, and went 18 miles over to assist in the effort. Now, Nehemiah 3, verse 3. The fish gate was rebuilt by the sons of Hasanah. They laid its beams and put its doors and bolts and bars in place. Merimoth, son of Uriah, the son of Hakaz. Now, if you're expecting a child, here are some great baby names in these verses. Okay, just saying. Repaired the next section. Next to him, Meshullam, son of Berechiah, the son of Meshezabel, my favorite, made repairs. And next to him, Zadok, son of Bana, made repairs. The next section was repaired by the men of Tekoa. This is interesting. But their nobles would not put their shoulders to the work under the supervisors. And that word supervisors can also mean governor, which could mean Nehemiah, who was the governor placed over this town at this time. So... The, the common people went and did the work. The nobles were like, mm, nah. So what do, we, what do we grab from this? Do you ever feel like the work God has given you to do is below you? Um, you know, I'm too good to help that person or do that kind of ministry. Or Now, we would never say that, right? We would say, oh, no, I would never, I would never, you know, no, huh? Here's the thing. Ask God what he thinks. Sometimes, do we feel like, do we come across like we're too good for what God wants us to do? I, th I think it's interesting as you, as you look at the ministry of Jesus, he was not afraid to minister to anybody 
spend time with anybody. And sometimes the disciples looked at him like, dude, you are wasting your time with those kids, with those lepers, with that lady, with those tax collectors, with those fill in the blank. And, and I love that God is not a respecter of persons. He doesn't care if you're a king or a bum. He doesn't care. I, I think it's just fascinating that he calls us to love people equally and individually because he loves them like that. And if we feel like that, that task that God has given me is too small, be careful. Check your heart. Uh, there's, a, there's a story of St. Francis that as he traveled around and became a big-time preacher, that he would preach here and he'd preach there and he'd preach there and everybody wanted him and he'd preach here and, he'd, and he always took a broom. And he was the last one out and he would sweep the church and make sure it was clean make sure it was ready to go. And people were like, why do you do that? And, and he just said, because I don't want, be, want to be the one that just speaks. I want to be the one that, that sweeps the floor, that takes care of the dirt that people bring in, and I want to be below them, not above them. That, that's pretty real. So now some of us may feel like, okay, just, just humor me. Some of us may feel like we're too good for what God's asked us to do, even though we wouldn't say it like that. We might be like, nah, right, I'm hesitant to do that thing. Seems like here, and man, God, you gave me this level of education. I don't know if you want me to, right, squander it. But some of us feel the opposite. We may feel like, I'm too bad to do what God wants me to do. Like, hmm, you know, it's kind of like when God called Moses, and Moses goes, I think you have the wrong guy. Like, who does that? It's God. He knows you better than you know yourself. But I think we do the same thing. We fall in the same trap, and we're like, you know, God, you don't know who you're talking to. So check out this, new, this verse, uh, verse 11. Malkijah, son of Harim, and Hasab, son of Pahath Moab, wow, repaired another section and the tower of the ovens. Now, if you do a little research, and you look in Ezra, the previous book, and we look in Ezra 10, we find a list of people who were backsliders, who were not following the law, who were intermarrying, and who were busted. Some of them excommunicated. Some of those guys were rebuilding the wall and highlighted in the book of Nehemiah as heroes for doing their part. God restored them and gave them another shot. And they're right here in our book. And some of you need to hear that. He loves to restore. Well, I don't know. You know, you don't know what I've done. St. Paul killed Christians for fun, right? Like, have any of you done that? I mean, the book, this book is full of murderers and thieves and adulterers that God used. I, I mean, we're in good company, right? Okay. Verse 12, Shalom, son of, wow, Halohesh, ruler of the half-district of Jerusalem, repaired the next section with the help of his daughters. I think it's cool that he mentions, hey, there's some ladies doing the work. And it's actually funny as you read the, the scholars. They're like, no, nah, they didn't work. They just gave money for the work. Like, no. They, it looks to me like they actually did some building of the wall. And, and I love that this is listed because there are all kinds of people doing the work. There, and we'll find more in a minute. I mean, everybody. 
all kinds of folks that have all kinds of backgrounds and ages and skill levels and, and socioeconomic groups, they all work together. Everyone had a job and most of them did their job. And they all shared in the expense and the labor of this thing because it was more important than any of them as individuals. Verse 27, next to them, the men of Tekoa repaired another section. Wait a minute. We read about these guys in verse 5. Their nobles wouldn't help. So these are the guys that the nobles wouldn't help. The common folk went and got it done. And in fact, they did more. They finished their part so quick that they went and they did another part. So Nehemiah mentions them twice. Verse 28, above the horse gate, the priests made repairs, each in front of his own house. Next to them, Zadok, some of Inner, Immer, made repairs on his house. This is significant because we find out in the next chapter that they had threats. They had enemies that wanted to kill them, that were already threatening and planning to overrun Jerusalem. So these guys were building the area in front of their house so they could protect and defend their own families when the bad guys came. So they're literally like bricklaying, and we'll find this out next chapter, and then they're like looking around, and they've got a spear in the other hand. They've got a sword in the other hand. They're sleeping with their sword. They're going to the bathroom with their weapons on. Like that, that's where the, where the book goes next. So that's why that's important that they're, they're building right here next to their home sometimes. And here's the last verse of chapter 3, verse 32. Between the room above the corner and the sheep gate, the goldsmiths and the merchants made repairs. They were not construction workers. They were jewelry guys and like fine-tuned artisans, right? And then Nehemiah's like, hey, we're going to go build a wall. And they're like, I don't really do that, but I'll try and so I, just, I think it's another picture of many hands make light work. It's a picture of God using all of our skills for his glory. It's a picture sometimes of us doing things that we're not comfortable doing. And everybody was a little uncomfortable because so far there are no stonemasons on the list. Everybody's a little out of their zone, like I got to do what? And they're doing all this stuff and God used it for his glory. And God put every single one of those named, and I could have read the whole chapter. We did about half of it. But God put, I just couldn't handle all the names, to be honest. <laughs> but God put all of those workers' names in there for a reason. It's like a list of well-done, good and faithful servant names. They were faithful. They were obedient. They worked hard for the Lord and for the city that carried his name no matter what their background was. And each one started and finished their part of the wall. Um, and, and here's the other thing. No one could have done it alone. The, 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 the work was just way too big. So you might ask, how big was it? Right? And, and I'll tell you, two and a half miles around, 29 feet high, eight feet thick, Okay, that is not a Lego build. That is like, right? And it had been broken down for a hundred years. It says in the next chapter that there were some parts that people wanted to give up because the rubble was too great 
and they couldn't continue the building. So you got a hundred years of junk. Have you ever seen a fixer-upper show? Try two and a half miles of fixed, like this is not a kitchen remodel. This is a city, like a whole century rebuilt. Right? This old house? This is this old Jerusalem. And they're trying to bring it back to where it was before. Quite a huge undertaking. And the work would, would never be possible without a team effort. If Nehemiah tried it without all of those people that we just talked about, there is no way. He would have ended up in the ER. Euphrates River. Yeah, that's what that stood for back then. So, so here's a question. Are you trying to serve God and rebuild your life alone? Okay, so we just went from Jerusalem to your life. Can, what can you do alone? What can you not do alone? There are a lot of things we try to do alone that we can't do alone, and yet we keep trying, and we try 30 years of it. Some of us try 50 years of doing it alone, trying to rebuild our lives, rebuild our families, rebuild our relationships, our faith, our prayer life, and we try to do alone, and we can't. So I, I saw a great quote uh, this last week that solitude is a gift of God. Isolation is a tool of the enemy. They're similar, but they are not the same. Solitude is, I need a little time alone to be with him. I need to rest. I need to recover. That's a gift. That's Sabbath. You can Sabbath for an hour. You can Sabbath for a day. You can Sabbath for a year. That's, there's a thing, that's a thing, right? Isolation is a whole different thing. It's, it's not, I need some time alone. It's, I'm going to be alone. Aloneness becomes the thing. It's, it's, not, it's not getting time away. It's staying away. So, um, so I want to commend many of you who overcame some fears to even be in gatherings again. I, I talked with one lady a couple months ago who was here outside, and she said, I just got, P I, got I have PTSD even being here because there's been so much in our culture about stay away, stay home, don't, don't gather, don't, right? And, and there's a time to be cautious. That, that's, there's no problem with that. The problem is isolating and being alone and that becoming life, that becoming norm. And the enemy wants to divide the body of Christ. He wants you to all be isolated and alone because then you are no threat to him and you are not growing the way that you could. You're not connected to each other and connecting to the Lord together. There's something even about communion where we commune with him and you can do that at home alone. Absolutely you can. You and Jesus, you're thanking him for his sacrifice. It also means communing with each other. And it also means looking forward to heaven together with him, the wedding supper of the lamb. It's not just you and him, right? It's us. We, together with him, we celebrate here on earth now. There's something about us being together and coming back together. And I want to especially talk to you who are out online and bless you for being online and for making the, the effort to join. It's hard to kind of tune in with all the distractions, but thank you. And I want to encourage you. Some of you are afraid. Some of you are, are isolated. You're kind of trapped right now in the living room or in your office or something. And the Lord wants more. 
not from you. He wants more for you. He wants to pour his confidence and his, 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 uh, his peace into you, his joy into you, where you've just been stressed and afraid. And I want to challenge you to come back to people because the Lord will protect you and guide you. You can be cautious, be smart, but be with his people because you can't do this alone. Nehemiah could not do it alone. I can't do it alone. None of us can do it alone. That's where you say amen. Okay. I knew Len was going to get an amen <laughs> right in there. So is there a sporting event happening today that you've, you've heard of? Uh, so which Super Bowl is it? Oh, it's the best one. Oh, it's 56. And um, I heard that there's a certain team that will be playing. I'm not going to name the name of any teams today or tip my hat in any certain direction. Uh, but I know that there is a, a game happening. And, and I feel like the offensive line of a certain NFL team uh, is a good illustration of Nehemiah chapter 3. <laughs> it's actually true. You laugh, but it's true. So the offensive line's job is kind of unique. They stay in a certain area right next to another person who is in a certain area all the time, right? And they work together to keep the quarterback from getting killed, right? And so that they can make forward movement together as a team so that they can slowly win a game over time, right? So often it's not the huge play that wins the game. It's the consistency over time that wins the game, right? And so we have these huge humans that are doing their part right next to each other and they become a mass of huge humans that are slowly moving this ball down and the greatest player will not win the game. The greatest team will win the game. If any of those guys goes out there and tries to do it without that line, they will be slaughtered. That's just how, right? And that's not being mean, that's just... But how do we think that Christian life is different than that? How would we think, well, you know, maybe we don't take the enemy seriously. Maybe we don't take the defensive line seriously. Well, you know, he's not going to come after me. Tell the Bengal defensive line like they're not a threat. I, I'm scared of those dudes. I, and, and I feel like we need to have a healthy respect of our enemy and say, I need you, you need me. We need each other. And the Lord wants to move his kingdom forward as we unite our arms together and we go together down the field. And, and I feel like what's happened over the last, I don't know how long, but I feel like Christianity has become defensive, like let's, let's hunker down and hide. And that's not the book of Acts. The book of Acts is let's go take over the planet, right? And somehow we've We've tried to, you know, guard our culture and make sure nobody hurts it and, and guard this and protect this. And, and the Lord's like, no, the best defense is offense. Like, let's go, let's go do the thing. That's why the Holy Spirit came, to empower us for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up and strong and mature, not lacking anything 
man, there's some stuff we lack. Okay, so um, I feel like, yeah, let me, let me talk about this for, for just a second. The Lord wants us to take away a couple of things from Nehemiah 2, from Nehemiah 3. Two primary things. One is this. Are you playing your part? Do you even know what your part is? If all the guys went out on the field this afternoon and did not know their role, it would be a mess. I think that a lot of churches roll like that, pretty messy, where we don't understand our gifts, don't understand our calling, don't understand our parameters, and then we try to do all this stuff that we think is interesting, and it doesn't work. So if you've never done a gifts survey, they are out there in the lobby on the table, please do it. We're collecting your information, which is, what do you think your spiritual gifts are? What would you love to do? What are you passionate about? We want to know that so we can help you get connected and become who you are so you can play your part in the body, okay? Uh, some of you are not serving in ministry in any way. You're just trying to survive. There's a season for survival, but there's something that you notice in AA and NA and Al-Anon and whatever. If you help somebody else, it's part of helping you. Sometimes if, if my eyes are all on me, I don't grow. If my eyes are on somebody else and I'm helping somebody else forward, I can grow. I can thrive. It's part of being a healthy human being. Um, some of you guys, maybe you're not, you haven't found your role even in stewardship of gifts, time, treasure, talent. You've heard this, right? If all of your time is spent here, that doesn't honor God. If all of your talent is spent on you building your own kingdom, it doesn't honor God. If all of your resources, your treasure is spent here, that doesn't honor God. So what does it look like to turn that out and use all of who you are for his kingdom, for building what he wants to build on planet Earth, right? And that stuff will last. This book talks a lot about stuff that will last and stuff that won't. So the second thing that we can learn from Nehemiah 3 is um, are we part of building his kingdom or are we part of tearing it down? There were some nobles who didn't do anything. Um, there were some people who didn't join the work. We'll find out next chapter, there's some people who actually were downright against it from inside. There were people who were traitors, who told Nehemiah, you're going to be killed, man. And, and they wanted him killed. That's not cool. Your own brothers and sisters want you dead. Wow, right? So, so I have noticed something in... Uh, in my Christianity that has become more and more clear, especially the last two years. If you are a Christ follower, you are part of his family. How many of you got to choose your family? No, no hands went up, right? Now, adoption is a cool way of choosing part of your family, right? Um, but here's the thing. Sometimes when we run into conflict with each other, we run. Like, if John and I aren't getting along, uh, I, I got to go find a new John. <laughs> I'm, I'm out of here, right? But I can't do that with my biological family. And, and I think it's interesting as we read Scripture, we are the body of Christ, parts of his body connected to each other by him, by the Holy Spirit, for his purpose. And I've seen it over and over and over again, especially the last couple of years, that when people have a disagreement... They, they flee from the disagreement rather than, rather than say, Lord, what is my part in this? What do you want me to do about this? 
that's where we need to grow in how we even handle conflict with family members so that the body of Christ can be strong. That's, that's where we're headed. Okay, now, I had a picture in my mind. I'm going to grab a... Can you grab that drink of water for me right there? I want you to picture yourself... You, you just arrived in heaven. You're talking to St. Peter, and then you see somebody on the other side of the pearly gates that you don't like. Now, what are you going to do? Are you going to say, oh, shoot, they're here? Or are you going to go, you know, I should probably get over my stuff with them. They're my brother. They're my sister. Maybe they're wacky. Maybe they were wrong. Maybe I was wrong too. Maybe they were 99% wrong and I was 1% wrong. But I think it's an interesting picture that we're stuck with each other, guys. And someday we're going to have to get along better than we do on planet Earth. We may as well get started now. Now, if you want proof of that, Ephesians 4, this is a passage that we were studying this week in our spiritual gifts community group. Now check this out. I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. So put a comma right there. Are you living a life that's worthy of the calling you've received? Whoa. Wait, what do you mean? What's the calling you've received? To be a child of the king. To not treat people the way that the people of the world treat each other. To look at each other with grace forgiveness, hmm. to see each other as family. Are we living up to the calling of using our gifts, of being who God's created us to be? Most of us would say, ooh, wow, that makes me a little uncomfortable. And that's okay. That's the Holy Spirit saying, not you're bad, you'll never get it together. It's the Holy Spirit saying, come on, let's do this together. Let's walk into who you're supposed to be. So how do we live a life worthy of our calling? I'm glad you asked. Verse 2, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Well, but I'm not a very patient person. I'm kind of a truth teller. I'm, yeah, I'm sure St. Paul would just let you right off the hook. And so would Jesus just say, oh, yeah, you don't have to be nice to people. Yeah, no, don't worry. That, I'm being facetious. This is a command to us as believers. Verse 3, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Every effort. There are times when I have not made every effort. I've made an effort, maybe two, and then I gave up on the person. Make every effort. Why? Because verse 3, verse 4, there is one body and one Spirit. Notice how many times it says one just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. That's, he is the point, not me. And our focus on him, our work together for his kingdom is what matters. The unity matters. The togetherness, the teamwork matters. Me doing my part, you doing your part matters. Ephesians 4, 15, I'm jumping down a few verses, speaking the truth in love. Some of you speak only love, some of you speak only truth. 
we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head. I want to encourage you to read Ephesians 4 sometime this week because the whole thing is about love and gifts and the goal is maturity, strength, that, that we become more like Christ together, not separately. And then it says, from him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Look at the last part. As each part does its work, it works. Someone once said it works if you work it, right? This is, this is, this is important. We each do our part, and it builds each other up, and we become mature and strong together. We become the team that we're created to be. But I feel like the body of Christ has been lazy. I think the last two years have been a good wake-up call. I'm hoping we don't blow it and need another one. Yeah, that's a threat. And I don't, it's not from me. But I'm hoping that we pay attention and we're not lazy. I hope that we wake up from our slumber and go, oh, wait, what's important? And let's do that. I think the, the body of Christ has also been weak. And Ephesians 4 talks to us about how to become strong. And I think we've been isolated. And the enemy is winning in isolating Christians from each other. I have talked to so many believers who are no longer part of any church. And, and, and then they give me eight reasons why they're not part of any church. Now, I don't have a problem with that. Some of these are very smart people who know the Lord, who walk with his spirit, okay? But then I tell them, and I, I have a conversation with them, well, you are church. How are you going to be that with others? And usually there's not an answer. And I'm like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do my best with what I have. I'm not going to run from what I have to run to something that doesn't exist yet. If you can figure out a way to not be part of a church and be church together with others, you are part of a church. That's great. Do that. But don't be in this weird, isolated, questioning and judgmental and that's all wrong place. Ask the Lord where he wants you and do that. And he will show you because he knows. Okay. Right on. So... So it's time to rebuild the ancient walls. This is a big theme in Scripture. Isaiah 58, one of my favorite passages. Um, but check this out. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins, will raise up age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. This is not talking about a physical city. The whole context of Isaiah 58 is people being religious but not caring for the poor, not caring for their own family, not caring for their spiritual family. And he says, you're going to rebuild what's been broken. I feel like the enemy's broken all kinds of stuff in the American church. And what God, what, what the enemy has meant for evil, God is going to use for good. Because it's all been sh shuffling and shaking, and now it's time for the rebuilding to happen. So, in fact, this week, I'm going to be doing a Bible app devotional. If you have the Bible app, you can join and it's called Rebuilding Our Broken World. And so if you don't know how to get on it, um, talk to me and I'll, I'll help you connect. But I invited 91 of you. So hopefully a bunch of you will be part of that over this next 10 days. So the body of Christ has been divided. How many of you have seen that? It's a little crazy. Uh, but Jesus said in John 17, if you remember this, 
they will, we, the world will know that he's real because of our love and our unity. Conversely, the world will be confused if we don't love and if we're not unified. And the world is downright confused about believers. Like you've all heard that quote from Gandhi, like, I like your Jesus, but I'm not sure about your Christian. Right? This is, this is a challenge to us to say, wait, are we a family? How do we act like a family? What's my part in being family? How do I love well my brothers and sisters in Christ? How do I do my part? How do I, as a lineman, right, next to Chris, the other lineman, next to so-and-so who's next to him, you know, how do I do my part and how do we see his kingdom built? So um, we're going we're gonna to pray a prayer of repentance in a minute, but, but I, first I want to tell you a, a bright spot. Um, so one of the, one of the local pastors, uh, at Anthem Church, it's Ryan, who's their executive pastor, had a, 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 a hankering, uh, a burr in his saddle. Ed, is that something you would say? A burr in his saddle? Yeah. So, so, and, and the thing was, he looked at the acorn, uh, last Easter, and he saw like 29 churches competing for market share. And everybody, whoever had the best colors and the best design and the best petting zoo would win, you know, on Easter. Everybody would come to their place. And, and he, it just broke his heart. And he's like, aren't we one church? And, and so a bunch of us have started meeting um, since about November. And there's a group of local churches that are going to do uh, something called Easter in Caneo Valley. And it's Easter together. And it's not one big gathering. We're going to do our own gathering. But we're going to have a campaign where we're sharing the message of Easter all over the place on social media and acorn and articles and banners and maybe even yard signs. And I don't know where it's going to go. But the whole idea is going to be that we are one church in the Caneo Valley that meets in many places. So the theme is many churches, one Jesus. And, and my hope, our hope, is that Easter will be inescapable. For people that they will just drive around town and go like what the heck is going on and they'll want to know like and and you're out walking your dog and they'll be like what is that and you'll be able to tell them what that is or they'll be on their phone like michelle what the heck is this and you'll be able to say well that's the churches all love jesus together he has one church in the canoe valley that meets in multiple locations and we want you to know more about him so that is a bright spot that is coming. And I love that some of the churches, check this out, some of the churches were like, why are we just doing this on Easter? This is always. So that is cool. So anyway, so pray about that because I'm right in the middle of that and that's all coming together right now. But I feel like big picture, we as people need to repent. And this is a theme from Nehemiah chapter one. Nehemiah said, Lord, forgive us. He was 900 miles away from the problem. He said, Lord, forgive us because we have sinned against you. My family has, I have, my brothers have, our nation has, we have sinned. He did not do all the sinning. He seems like a pretty decent guy. But he was in identification, right? He was in a priestly role saying, God, forgive us for our sin as a nation. I feel like we, as individuals, need to repent for our part 
and for our part as the church in America. And we need to ask that Jesus would rebuild us in his image, not in some cultural mode of what church is supposed to look like. But we need to look like Jesus. We need to look like the people of God, the power of God, the presence of God, the peace of God in our culture. And we need to pray that God would, that Jesus would make us one so the world knows that he's real, that his love is real, that his forgiveness is real. And that can only happen one way. As we are the apologetic, as we together show that he's true. So we're going we're gonna to pray. And I also, I also believe this, that sometimes our lack of unity hinders our prayer. I think when we're praying about our thing, my thing, rather than our thing in his kingdom, our prayers are so limited. And, and I feel like if we're saying, Lord, would you move your kingdom forward in our valley and in our nation, he's going to answer that. Right on? So I want to ask the band to come on up, and I'm going to lead us in a prayer of repentance and just allow, you can pray however you want. You can listen to my words and follow that or just repent for whatever the Lord puts on your mind for your life, for your family, for your, uh, your last couple of years. Lord Jesus, I, I just, I'm just sorry for us. And, and I feel like, Lord, we've let you down over and over and over. Maybe we've gotten some things right, but Lord, we have not gotten unity right. And, and Lord, we have judged each other. We've run away from each other rather than to each other. We've blamed each other rather than saying, Lord, what's my part? And I ask, Lord, that you would show us what our part is and that you would break our hearts for what breaks yours. Lord Jesus, you want your body to be one. Your body is one, and yet, Lord, it's just pulled apart at the seams in a way. So, Lord Jesus, I ask that you would, that you would heal, that you would rebuild the broken walls, that, that, Lord, you would show us what our part is in the rebuilding. Give us spiritual mortar and spiritual stones, and, Lord, that we could be a blessing to others. Lord, I ask that just like those priests, that, Lord, as we build, we would dedicate, build, dedicate, that we would see everything as effort for you and in you and through you. And Lord, I ask that your kingdom would move forward in Thousand Oaks, in the Caneo Valley, in Ventura County, in L.A. County. Lord, that, that you would put this message on the hearts of leaders and Nehemiahs all over this country, Lord, that your people would become one again. Lord, that somehow we would have a united sense of your love and your purpose. And Lord, that it goes way beyond politics, way beyond social issues. Lord, that Jesus, you become the center again. Lord Jesus, forgive us for our part in this. We ask that you would heal, that you would forgive, that you would restore. Lord, that you would make our prayers powerful again. Holy Spirit, have your way. Jesus, be our King. In his name, amen.